All righty. Well, good morning. I'm Gare. If you don't know who I am, one of the pastors here. We're going we're gonna to dive straight in. We have a lot to get through. So let's pray and then we dig into God's Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. And we pray this morning that you would open our understanding to what you're doing through us in this city. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series looking at the book of Acts and looking at it through the lens of what God is doing through his church for the city. And in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, Jesus, before he sends out his disciples into the city, before he sends us into the city, he prepares the foundation for their ministry. And for 50 days, he provides this foundation which is going to determine and shape everything about their life in him. Over 50 days, he starts by proving to them that he's alive, that this resurrection really happened. So for 40 days, he appears to them over and over again, proving he's alive. Then last week, we saw he ascended, and we looked last week at what it meant for him to be ascended. And then for 10 days, they're waiting because they're waiting for a promise, he said, would happen. They didn't know when, but he said, I'm going to send to you my Holy Spirit. And then on the 50th day, on Pentecost, which was a pre-existing festival of the Jewish community, the Holy Spirit came. We're going to look at Pentecost in a deeper way this morning. What is going on in this strange and beautiful story of Pentecost? And what we're going to see, it shapes everything for these young disciples' lives. It shapes everything about what they were going to say and do as the church in their city and likewise for us. So let's dig in, get your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, and beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen for you, and you can follow along. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? How then is it that we, each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, Ah, they've had too much wine. All right, let me pray. Father, as we look at this, open our ears, open our hearts to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. What does this mean? What on earth is going on? And I want to ask ask and help answer that question this morning. As we take a deeper look at Pentecost, what is going on with all of these symbols and these images of fire and wind and tongues? What is all of this? Because as we will see, a firm grasp of what is actually going on at Pentecost 
is the foundation for everything we do as followers of Jesus Christ. Everything we do as a church is founded upon what happened at Pentecost. And so this morning, for the first section, it's going to be a bit different because I recognise that to understand what's going on at Pentecost, you kind of have to understand the whole story of the Bible, which is going to be hard to do in a few minutes. And I was going to draw out some diagrams to help us do that, but then I thought, you know what, my drawing's terrible. I'm going to borrow some diagrams from someone else called the Bible Project. Anybody ever hear of the Bible Project? Love those guys. And so visit those guys. If you want to know anything, go to the Bible Project. And so I've downloaded some of their pictures, and I'm sure they're happy with that, and we're going to use them this morning, okay? Um, and then I'm going to explain. So the first bit is what on earth is Pentecost about, and we'll go through some of these slides, and then we'll look at what it means for us today. All right, so let me get up the slides. Slide number one. To understand what Pentecost is doing, you have to understand the whole story of the Bible. And the whole story of the Bible is summarized in this phrase. The union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. The union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. That's why Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To understand Pentecost, we have to have the framework of God restoring heaven to earth. So let's all go back to Genesis 1. And in the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created two spheres of his good creation that were, were meant to interlock and overlap the heavens, God's house, God's space, and earth, where his creation would be, the cosmos. And they were meant to be two separate realms, but they would overlap and intersect. And in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, the intention on this next slide is that they fully overlapped, which is why it's now purple, the merging of those colors, <laughs> right? That they would fully overlap. You read in Genesis 1 and 2 that God's space is overlapping with humanity's space. God communes with them perfectly. There's nothing in the way of this amazing interlocking and overlapping of heaven and earth. But we know the story in Genesis chapter 3, heaven and earth were separated because humanity said, God, back off, right? We want to do this ourselves. We want to run heaven by ourselves, uh, earth by ourselves. And they separated and God respected their wishes because he respects and creates free will. But brokenhearted, he has to pull back. And brokenhearted, on the next slide, for the next few chapters, we see the results of this. That the earth now is filled with the consequences of unqualified people taking over. And in a few chapters, even the sons of Adam and Eve start to bicker, get angry, and murder. Not doesn't take long. And the world is a mess and pretty ugly. And the whole story of the Bible then is how do these things come back together again? Genesis 3 is God promises, I'm going to restore this. But how? Because he's got to deal with sin. He's got to deal with justice. He can't just ignore the evil going on in the world. He is pure holiness. And so, next slide, we have this great question that hangs over humanity. How on earth is this reunification going to happen, this reunion going to happen. God begins his answer. This next slide is God appears to Moses on top of Mount Sinai 50 days after the Passover. 50 days is important. We'll come back to that in a minute. And he has to stay far away. God is going, I'm over here on the mountain, symbolized by fire, but don't come near. 
Because there's this barrier of sin that you will burn up in your unrighteousness. But God is starting to pour out his heart, but I want to dwell again with my people. And so the next slide, you see in the Old Testament, God's first stage solution is of this reunification of heaven and earth is through what he calls the temple. That in the temple, God's space would come and invade earth, where heaven and earth overlap would be this place called the temple. And that's why we see, next slide, we see fire again, symbolizing the presence of God, heaven, coming and filling the temple. This now becomes a sacred space. You know, think of Stargate, that portal. Have you ever seen Stargate, right? This really sacred space where two worlds are now overlapping, but only in this physical building. It was sacred. And next slide, you see then the tabernacle was just like the mobile home of the, of the temple until they could build one themselves. And, but you see these, the interior decoration of the temples were meant to evoke the images of when heaven and earth last overlapped, which was the garden. This, this decoration wasn't just someone going, mm, I kind of like these fir trees. They were taking the symbolism of the garden when heaven and earth truly overlapped, and that's how they decorated the temple. To a signpost to this is where heaven and earth overlap. This is sacred space. When you walk in here, you literally have one foot in the heavenly realm and one foot in the earthly realm. It was a big deal, which is why you could only go in and one guy, a high priest, could go in once or twice a year, but he had to cleanse himself, do all sorts of rituals as a symbol of, this is a big deal. You may not come out. You know, and they had, to, they had to make a sacrifice to try and get rid of my sins vicariously through someone else. Maybe that, can ha maybe that would work and I can enter into this sacred space. So next slide, it was the temple. The temple is the theme now of heaven and earth overlapping and this intersection. But then there was silence. It was like, really, is it just the temple? This is kind of like back one slide. The temple then became, well, hang on a minute, this is, this is not God's permanent solution, surely. This is far worse than the Garden of Eden when it fully overlapped. The temple is a physical building. And the prophets would say, this is just the beginning. That one day, his presence would flow out of the temple and, and heaven and earth would be reunified fully. So how's that going to happen? Well, there was silence until this bloke arrived on the scene called Jesus. And Jesus was walking around and he was consciously saying, as John said, oh my word, this is God who's become flesh. Heaven and earth have come together in this one person. And Jesus says, I am the new temple. I'm a walking temple. That's why John said he is tabernacled among us. Literally, he made up a verb. He took a noun and said, Jesus is tabernacling, templing amongst us. He said, destroy this building, referring to the temple. It's okay because I, I am the new temple. And that's why in the Gospels, you have this great, yeah, so Jesus is a temple, All right? That's, I love that image. Okay, but that's the point. Fire and temple now resides in Jesus. Next slide. But not only, he double duties this because he also says, I'm, I'm a temple, but I'm also going to be like that animal in the Old Testament that I'm actually going to make a way for all of you to access the temple because I'll take the sins of the world. I am the sacrificial lamb as well. I'm going to double duty this. 
I'm the sacrifice to take away the sins of the world so that you can come into the temple, which is now me. You can come to me. Okay, next slide. So Jesus is now the new temple where heaven and earth overlap, right? It's why people went, oh my word, you teach with such authority. Oh my word, you have this power about you. Oh my word, you're not of this world. Yeah, I'm of this world, but not of this world. I am the intersection of heaven and earth. And now I'm mobile, right? It's like if you go, your favorite restaurant suddenly gets food trucks and they can go out to the people. And that's what Jesus did on the next slide. He goes out and he brings heaven to earth out and about. You no longer have to come to a physical building because the temple is personified and mobile, which is why Jesus' preaching was summarized in this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? The rule and reign of heaven where everything is beauty and whole and unified and peaceful, I'm bringing it into this world. Okay, next slide. So, Jesus goes to the cross as the sacrifice to take on the sins of humanity so that we can potentially go into the temple and be back with God. And then he ascends, right? And you're left with this really interesting feature of, hang on a minute, this isn't good. The temple's gone. The temple has gone back to heaven. That actually, the reunification of heaven and earth has only happened in Jesus Earth has gone to heaven, but what about heaven come to earth? You think about it, earth has gone to heaven. The physical Jesus went to heaven. So earth is now in heaven in Jesus. But the disciples are going, hang on, but what happened to heaven coming to earth? And he ascended. And then this is the great next stage of the temple. Because fire filled the tabernacle, a physical dwelling. Fire filled the temple. God is now residing in the temple, his presence, where heaven and earth overlap. And then, 10 days later on Pentecost, something happens. God creates a new temple, which is why on the next screen, you've got the fire coming, but not on the building this time. But very clearly, individual flames separate onto each individual person. That we are now the temple of God, as Paul says. We are now his dwelling place because he is our sacrifice once for all, he made way not for us just to come to God, but he made way for God to come to us in the form that we are the living temple. And so next slide. And so Charlie Mackesee, my favorite artist, beautifully says that this is now the reality of Pentecost. The temple has moved from a building to a person. That we are, I don't know how you view yourself, and I'm sure you've got lots of amazing words for yourself, but <laughs> do you realize the most prominent word is that I'm the temple of God? I'm the place where heaven and earth overlap. That I truly am that portal in Stargate. No, seriously, that's really important. I truly am the door into another world because God now rests in me. Heaven is in my heart, literally. Christ has come to dwell with me. This is not just objective philosophy that God wants you now to be his temple where heaven and earth overlap. Okay, next one. So therefore, we are now mobile as well. This is the great followers of Jesus. We can do what Jesus did and go into all the world preaching heaven is at hand, right? And then next slide. And the long-term objective here, as we see in Revelation, is the reunification of heaven and earth now through the living temple filled with Jesus. 
which is you and me. And so next slide, next slide, next slide, next slide. Revelation says, one day it will be a new garden. The city will, it'll be a city where heaven and earth are now fully interlocked and overlapping. And God, it says, now dwells with his people. This is the vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Renewed. The word new is not get away with the old one. The word is renewed, healed, restored. God's plan will succeed. So this is the story. And therefore, next slide, Pentecost, next slide, is about this. The whole point of Pentecost is God saying, this is not just a charismatic experience where you get to speak different languages. This is God pivotally moving into the next critical stage of his restoration progress and plan, which is the temple, the presence of God, heaven and earth overlapping, on a mountain, in a burning bush, in a tabernacle, in a temple, in a person, and then in his people. This is the birth of the church as the temple of God. Right? This is not just powerful living. This is not, we're going to have great times of charismatic worship. Pentecost, a deep look at Pentecost, you see what God's doing. This is, oh my word. Imagine the Old Testament saints in heaven going, oh my word, only one of us could go in once a year. And that was pretty scary. Now it's the church. It's the dwelling place of God where heaven and earth overlap. Well, the disciples then had to go, well, what does this mean for us? What does this now mean for us as we work out from Jerusalem? What does it mean for us in LA that we are not just a place where we study a book or where we tell someone about King Jesus on the throne, but we genuinely are the temple of God? In a much more real and objective sense than the temple in the Old Testament. This is not just a nice fuzzy feeling or a philosophy. God says, you are now my temple. And I want to point out three consequences of this that the disciples had to wrestle with and we will wrestle with as well as Vintage Church in Los Angeles. The first is this. We have to live into our calling to be God's heavenly presence for Los Angeles. We have to live into the calling to be God's heavenly presence. In Ephesians 2, it says, you are now being built together to become a temple in which God lives by his Spirit. The temple is where God dwells. That if people want to know what God is like and if God is real, we are to be a place where they come and go, oh my word, I encountered Jesus. I felt his presence. He's alive. Gordon Fee writes this, a great theologian professor. He said, presence is a delicious word. If you love someone, what you want more than anything else is that person's presence. Letters are good, photos are good, telephone calls are fantastic, Zoom is okay. I added that bit. But what you really long for is their presence. And isn't that true the last year? And he said, the presence of God was with Adam and Eve, but it was lost in the Garden of Eden. But God has promised that he would restore his presence, first in the temple of the Old Testament and after Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out, the presence of God came to live among his people. Church then is a place, the people of God, is the place of the manifest presence of God. Terry Virgo, who's a church planter, theologian, pastor, writes this. This community then becomes the place where God is manifested on earth. 
His people are his dwelling place where he can be found and encountered. Not just understood. There's a big difference. The temple was not a lecture hall. The temple was a place of encounter. He says this, There is no need now to make a pilgrimage to a designated holy place, be it Jerusalem or Mecca. God's people are his holy dwelling. God is, God is accessible on this planet amongst his people. So when we plant a church or do church in a new location, we are establishing a temple where God can be encountered, where his presence is felt and experienced. When we plant a church and gather in his name, his presence comes with us. Vintage is to be a place of his presence. It's the very meaning of Pentecost. It's the very meaning of our identity. We are the temple. We are not just to make space for God to show up. We're the means for God showing up in this city. So many friends of mine who are not Christians say, look, yeah, if God just showed up one day and said, hey, I'm alive, then I'll believe, right? They're looking for a temple, a place where heaven and earth overlap, where it's real and not just a philosophy to believe, a moral teaching to guide, or just some kind of other world religion. They're wanting to know, is it true? Is God real? And the church is to be that place where people can experience, oh my word, this is true. That's why Jesus said so often, taste and see that the Lord is good. We are to be a place where people taste and see God. That they experience. Everything we do then needs to be temple-shaped. Everything we do has to be temple-shaped. What I mean by that is everything we do in church has to be carrying the presence of God. Tim Keller talks about the difference between dead orthodoxy and orthodoxy on fire with the presence of God. See, we can be a church that is so committed and busied with programs, good teaching, good songs, good potluck roasts and dinners or whatever it is, good community groups. But see, you can do all of those and not be a temple because you're not making space for the presence of God. And so we're committed here at Vintage to being a temple, to being where people come in. And this is really important. As we do the things that God calls us to do, we make sure our hearts are postured that they are carriers of his presence. So I grew up in a church which is so-called charismatic or Pentecostal, and it was brilliant, but you could get tempted into feeling and thinking, oh, we do the stuff of church like preaching, like pastoral care, like all these things, but then can we make room for the presence of God somewhere? As if that stuff is dry and dead. But actually, that's not what Pentecost is about. Pentecost is about anointing the things of the church, that everything is carrying the presence of Jesus. It's like when Billy Graham was so desperate, he was preaching, and people said to him, dude, your preaching's good, it's a bit dry though. And there's a great story of him going to this Welsh preacher and saying, I need the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was so funny, he, he toiled as I need this, and then he had this infilling, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but he had this infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then everyone after that, his ministry took off. Same message, but he was now carrying the presence of God. When we pray, we can just pray for people, or we can position ourselves to be carriers of the presence of God as we pray. It's why Stephen in Acts chapter 6, he was described as he was full of the Holy Spirit, because there were other people who weren't full of the Holy Spirit. 
Go find people full of the Spirit. Because actually you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can be dry and go through the motions. Or we can be a church that is full of the Holy Spirit because that is our identity and that's our calling. That people come in and go, that gay guy was a bit rubbish, but I've met God. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great and perfect testimony? And he's rubbish and the accent and all whatever. I didn't like his sneakers, things like that. Okay, it's why we make room at Vintage. If you're new to Vintage, we will be a church that is committed to being a presence, temple-shaped community because that's why we're here. Okay, next thing is, we're not just to be a presence for our city. We are to be a heavenly community for our city. A heavenly community for our city. See, temples, remember that slide? When you walked into a temple, it was like you were walking into another world where heaven and earth overlapped. It wasn't like any other building. You walked in and go, ooh, this is different. Because there's a difference to a community when heaven and earth overlap. Jesus was like, you're different. And we are to be that heavenly community where we, our people can taste of the difference of what it means to be a heavenly community. To see, LA is desperate for community done right. Community as it was created to be. And in Pentecost, God is calling a community to start living in a heavenly way. In our relationships, how we spend our money, how we spend our time. It is now all governed by the values of heaven on earth. It's why Paul gets really angry with some of the Christians, because they're living like just everyone else. And he says to them, don't you know you are the temple of God? You are where heaven and earth overlap. And so you have to showcase to, on earth, this is what a heavenly community looks like. See, across Los Angeles, we have all sorts of communities that are in LA, but represent kind of somewhere else. We have Little Ethiopia, we have Koreatown, Chinatown, um, Tarangeles. Yeah, I love all these places. Because you're there and you're in LA, but you're also smelling and tasting and eating the foods of somewhere else. Well, in a similar way, the church is to be like a little heaven in LA. Heaven town. Or someone said to me in the break, Heavensville. This is what a church is now, is the intersection between heaven and earth. And therefore, we live out this heavenly lifestyle, which says to people, taste and see that the Lord is good. That we are to be a new type of community. We see this immediately in Acts chapter 2. When the temple community was radically different to everyone else. What are the signs of a new heavenly community in LA? Well, the first sign we see in Acts chapter 2 is racial unity. That right at the very beginning of Pentecost, it happened on a day, the feast of Pentecost, Pent means five, 50 days after the Passover, when all Jewish believers from every nation would come to Jerusalem speaking their native languages, that the very first sign of Pentecost, of a new type of community, was racial unity. Was we are one in Jesus Christ. No one culture was dominant. They could each hear the gospel in their own language. 
And they cherished each other. They served each other. They loved each other. They learned to get along and, and cherish each other's differences. This is the fruit of a heavenly community. Oh, Lord, let us be that for our city. So in Ephesians 2, Paul says again, you are being built into a temple and the barriers of hostility between groups are now being healed, that in Christ we can find peace. The heavenly community is diverse, but the he heavenly community is radically different in every way. And it's a tragedy, isn't it, that so often people look at the church as God's temple and see no difference with other communities in L.A. And I think part of that is because people have brought, bought into a gospel that says, Jesus saves you, here's your ticket to heaven, get on with life, and when you die, you'll go to heaven. And they've missed the whole point of being God's temple on earth, his place of intersection, where the blessing goes out to fill the world, where people see and taste, oh, this is how life was meant to be. See, people in L.A. are actually they're not convinced in this post-modern, post-truth, secular context. They're not actually convinced by intellectual arguments for the resurrection. They're not actually looking for scientific evidence for this or that. And that's all there because I don't believe Christianity is made up. I believe it's true. But what they are looking for is, well, what difference does this make to you? Does this work? And the calling that we have is to live into this heavenly lifestyle where we are different and we smell different and we look different and we taste different and we act different because our values and ethics are all shaped by heaven, not by Los Angeles. And God takes that really seriously because he wants his temple to fill the world. And therefore, we have a responsibility to live out the values of heaven on earth. It's why, and I'm rambling a bit now, but forgive me, it's why in Acts chapter 6, do you know like Jesus swept the temple with a whip because he was like, oh my word, you are not acting like the temple. This is heaven and earth overlapping and you've turned it into a den of robbers. And he got angry. Well, new temple happens, right? Pentecost, people of God. And straight away, we see God straight away going, uh-uh, don't you think now anything goes? And poor Ananias and Sapphira, living greed, thinking that they could abuse, abuse the temple, the new people of God. And his, his judgment came on them in the same way as Jesus brought the judgment to the temple. God brought judgment to the new temple and say, actually, I care about what you do in my temple because you are the showcase of heaven on earth where people can be blessed and touched. It's a great tragedy. I wonder how much God weeps over people thinking grace means I can do anything I want. Grace means that you're saved despite anything you do, but then you're called into a heavenly lifestyle, which is better by far and a blessing to our city. This is the holiness of the temple. And that still matters. Okay, and then finally, we come on to the mission of the temple. The temple in the Old Testament was physically bounded and it was so incomplete because the, the presence of God was to fill the whole earth and then Jesus came and took it out and then the people, because we're mobile, we are to take it out. We are the food trucks of the heavenly, of the heavenly city. Going out into our workplaces, going out into our colleges, bringing heaven to earth. You really are 
objectively, not even subjectively, whether you realize it or not, when you go into your workplace, you are the portal between heaven and earth. You are a little bit mini burning bush where God's presence, now filled by the fire of the Spirit, you are a walking burning bush wherever you go. Do you see that this is your calling? See, Pentecost is not just have great charismatic meetings. Pentecost is your new identity as the walking, living, breathing temple of God where heaven and earth intersect for the sake of those around you. N.T. Wright summarizes it where he goes, therefore simply ask this question wherever you go. What does it look like for heaven to come right now? What does it look like if my workplace had the values of heaven and I'm to bring them because I am heaven on earth? What does it look like in this relationship? What does it look like in my dating? What does it look like in my marriage? What does it look like for everything to be a demonstration of heaven and earth? I walk my dogs every morning, um, a very long walk along the beach, along the beachfront. And we go the whole length from Marine Del Rey to Santa Monica and back again. And I started out seeing it as a duty because my three dogs are labs and they need a lot of, a lot of walking. I then saw it as a form of exercise, that I'm really overweight and I need to lose weight, so I should do this for a double purpose. I put on about COVID-19 pounds and double that. So anyway, but then I actually thought, no, hang on a minute. The Lord really convicted me and said, you are a walking temple, that you're going through one of the most difficult and distraught homeless encampments in LA. I mean, it is crazy down there right now. And he said, you are a walking temple bringing heaven to earth. That wherever you go, you're bringing this burning bush of the presence of God. I said, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And I was saying to Lizzie, so all I do is pray every morning. I pray, okay, Lord, give me opportunities to speak to, whoever, to, to someone. And then the Lord said, and when you speak to someone, close every conversation with simply this, can I pray for you? Lay hands on them and pray. And I tell you, I am more alive in my faith than I've ever been because I'm stepping into my calling to be heaven on earth. And I'm walking down Venice Beach and I'm praying, Lord, bring someone for me to talk to. Whether it be prompts me to go talk to someone or more often than not, they're prompted to come talk to me. What are you doing down here? And I'm having these amazing conversations with Johnny Onelove with Deepal, with Irene, with Jennifer, who loves my dog Charlie because she says that her grandfather was Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> Maybe. But God loves every single one of them. And see, our city is like this. And guess who he sends? He's not going to send angels. He's not going to send another physical temple. He's already got a strategy is he's making you into a temple to go take his presence of heaven to the darkness of the city. This is what Pentecost is all about. And this is what we're called to in this moment more than ever. Let's stop playing nice church. Let's start stepping into being the Holy Spirit-filled presence of God, walking temples, going out into the city, supercharged here and then released in the city to bring heaven on earth. All right, let's stand together.
None of this can happen in our own strength. And so we're going to just ask again for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Pentecost was a one-off, but then there was an ongoing filling to happen. Because I don't know about you, but I quench the Holy Spirit every day. I do stupid stuff. And I, I leak like a bucket, and a, a leaky bucket. And I need to come back to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me, because I want to be heaven on earth for people around me. I want to bring your power. I want to bring your presence. I want to live into a heavenly lifestyle that says, this is different. And I want our city to be blessed. So I'd encourage you, do you know when you pray, what you do with your body matters when you pray, right? You say this to a five-year-old, close your eyes because it helps you concentrate. When you're inviting to be filled with the Spirit, it really helps to do this. So I invite you to do this. Not in any magic wand way. It just shows Jesus, you know what? These are my empty hands, I need you. I bring nothing to the table except an empty vessel. A clean one, thanks to Jesus. And now your hands like this also to receive a gift. Receive the Holy Spirit. To be filled with him, by him, again. So just close your eyes and I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit just fills each one of us again. Because that's our identity as the temple of God. Sometimes it's dramatic. Sometimes it's quite peaceful. But either way, he listens and answers our prayer. So Holy Spirit, Jesus, the ascended Jesus, fill us with your spirit again. Come Holy Spirit. As we worship now, we're going to worship with this posture of receiving. Seeing or not seeing, but let your heart be open now to receive from him.